How is everybody? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 12, and we're going to look at those verses. We're not going to try to read all those at one time. I've been in a lot of different situations here in our church where there would be a family that had gone through a tragedy, or there would be a family who had gone through some difficulty, and during that tragedy or difficulty or whatever uh, may, may have uh, been going on at the time, I would watch as a group of people rallied around those individuals and met their needs and ministered to them. And so many times I have heard this statement, Michael, I don't know what people do if they don't have a church family. Michael, I don't know what people do if they don't have a church family. Because I've watched as the body of Christ, the local church, has served and has ministered to so many countless individuals over the course of my ministry here. And it's been such a great example to me. Over the next six weeks, six to seven weeks, we're going to take a one-week break on Labor Day, we're going to do a study together called I Am a Church Member. The books are in the church office. If you'd like to get one, they're $5 a piece. A lot of you have already picked it up. A lot of you, it was in your new member packet when you joined our church. But my goal through doing this study is to strengthen our individual lives to be of great service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To strengthen us each individually because Paul is going to use a metaphor in the scriptures that we talk about how we are all individual members of a unified body. So we want to strengthen our individual lives to be of greater service to Christ. If you read the book, you know there in the first in the introduction it was a tale of two church members. One named Michael who's persevering in the church, a different kind of church member, a special kind of church member. Um, and a man named Liam who is disengaged at church and decides to leave. You see their stories. I won't get way deep off into that. But then Tom Rayner, who wrote this book, Tom Rayner is the president of Lifeway, our literature company for the Southern Baptist Convention. And Tom Rayner gives some statistics there uh, about church, about church and church membership. And he says this. He says, Nine out of ten churches in America are declining or growing at a pace slower than their communities. Ninety percent of the churches in America are declining or growing at a pace slower than their communities. Now, there are 91 Southern Baptist churches in the Calhoun Baptist Association. If Tom Rayner's statistics are right, then 82 of those churches are declining or not growing. Our former district... Uh, our, our former missions director for the county, I met with him before he retired, and he told me that we probably have 25 churches in Calhoun Baptist Association that in the next 5 to 10 years their doors will close because they have dwindled to such numbers and their average age is so high that they are facing having to close and stop meeting. He told me that they are convinced in those churches 
that what they were doing in 1992 or 1982 or maybe even 1962 is still effective and working in their communities. And he says, I just can't get them to understand that some of the things they're doing don't work anymore. Now, he goes on to tell us some other statistics about generations. If you're here this morning and you were born prior to 1946, you are a member of what's called the builder generation. There are 59 million of you. You make up 21% of the population. And two-thirds of the builder generation are Christians. Say that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's incredible. Then there is, on the other side of that, the group that is called the Millennials. If you are here this morning and you were born in between 1980 and 2000, then you are what is considered to be a millennial. There are 80 million millennials in the United States. They are the largest generation in the history of our country. Um, but here's the amazing statistic about them. Only 15% of the millennial generation say that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we go from one generation that says that two out of every three are a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ, to the millennials who only 15% say that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Tom Rainer gives some uh, of his own thoughts on page 5 here in the introduction about the decline in that group, he says, we can blame it on the secular culture, and we often do. We can blame it on the godless politics of our nation. We do that as well. We can even blame it on the churches, the hypocritical members, and the uncaring pastors. Lots of Christians are doing that. But I am proposing that we who are church members need to look in the mirror. I am suggesting that congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We join our churches expecting others to serve us, to feed us, and to care for us. We don't like the hypocrites in the church, but we fail to see our own hypocrisy. God did not give us local churches to become country clubs where membership means we have privileges and perks. He placed us in churches to serve, to care for others, to pray for leaders, to learn, to teach, to give, and in some cases to die for the sake of the gospel. Many churches are weak because we have members who have turned the meaning of membership upside down. It's time to get it right. It's time to become a church member as God intended. It's time to give instead of being entitled. So we see these things here in the introduction, and we, we look at this, we see the decline, um, in church membership, especially among millennials. And here's what I've learned over the past couple of weeks as I, as I look at this generation more. I've always thought millennials want, to, millennials want to change the world. If you're born in that window there between 1980 and 2000, you're in a group of people, you want to change the world. You want to see everything change and become different and become better and serve people. And for a long time, I thought, well, millennial, millennials kind of frightened me. 
even though I had so many in, in youth ministry, as a pastor, millennials kind of frightened me because I thought millennials want to come in and they want to change everything we do in the church and change the dynamic of the church and change um, everything. And, and, but here's what millennials are looking for. They're not looking for a certain style of music. They're not looking for a certain style of worship. What they're looking for is authenticity and transparency. What they're looking for is for us to say what we believe and then live how we say we believe it. So we have a great task ahead of us in reaching this generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text is from 1 Corinthians. There were a lot of problems in the church in Corinth. And Paul is writing to that church to address the many problems in the congregation. All of the problems in chapters 1 through 14 were grounded in the self-centered attitudes that were in contrast to the self-denying Christ-centered attitude that taught Paul had told them that they needed. Have you ever had a problem in the church? Have you ever had a problem in, 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 in the church? How many of you would be willing to admit without raising your hand that most of the time if you look back on that problem that you had in the church, it came from either you wanting to have your own self-desire or someone else's self-desire that you were in conflict with about how things should be in the church. If we're honest, that's what we would say, and that's what Paul is telling them. And he's saying that this egocentric life that you are living is in contrast with the Christ-centered life of which I've taught you, and that the mature Christian is characterized by giving and not getting. So let's dive into the content of what we want to get to here this morning in I am a functioning, I will be a functioning church member. Membership means we are all necessary parts of the whole. And Paul uses a metaphor of the body. He, he uses the uh, example of the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye, and the nose because he talks about the sense of smell. And he talks about how each individual part of the body has its own responsibilities and its own functions to be a part of, but they all make up the whole. Now there's biblical membership versus cultural definition of membership. If you grew up in the 1980s, you remember the commercials that American Express had that said membership has its what? Privileges. Membership has its privileges. It sounded like if you had an American Express card, every door would open for you. You would be accepted everywhere, and people would see your American Express card, and they would automatically know that you were a person of taste and wealth. What they didn't tell us back in the 1980s was, was that many people there who got that American Express card are still the privilege that they have is sending American Express a check every month still from back in 1987. But biblical membership is very different from worldly membership. Tom Rayner talks about in his book, he talks, he lived in southeast Alabama, and he talks about how a country club was coming to his little community. And he was so excited because they were going to build a pool and a nine-hole golf course, and they were going to have a restaurant. And his parents had just enough money to pay for that membership, and he could go there to that country club, and he could walk up with no money in his hands, and he could walk up to the concession stand at the pool, and he could say, I want a cheeseburger and fries, and somebody would sit it down in front of him. 
Now, the closest thing I can come to that is when I was a kid, I was a member of the Y. I think it cost um, about $10 a year to be a member of the Y. And I had access to a pool, but so did about 500 other kids in Piedmont. And we were all swimming right on top of each other. And you could go skating on Saturday nights during the fall and the winter. But I was never coordinated enough to skate. So I sat on the side watching people. Bree was the skater. So my membership there at the Y, although it was great, and I, I, I kept my little card in my pocket everywhere I went, didn't come with a lot of privileges. But to the world, membership means perks. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate, and you can have others taking care of you. But tragically, this understanding of membership is what many church members hold today in being a member of a church. Tom Rainer gives some good quotes here on page number 10. I think I've heard most of these. But he talks about this. He says, these are some quotes that he got as a pastor. This is my church, so you have to play the music just the way I want it. Look, pastor, I've heard this one. Look, pastor, you need to remember who pays your salary. <laughs> if you look, Pastor, if you don't do this program, I'll withhold my check to the church. I've heard this one here lately. I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, so I have a right to get what I want. <laughs> and here's one. I don't pay good money to this church to listen to sermons that long. A man that I follow on Twitter meets his congregation at the front door of the church every Sunday the way that I do and shake hands. And he posted, he, he, he put on Twitter the other week, he was standing there at the front door greeting people as they were leaving. And an elderly lady took his hand and said, I'm too old to sit through bad sermons. <laughs> so far, none of you have said that to me. So, But we equate membership with receiving instead of giving. Being served instead of serving. Rights instead of responsibilities. Entitlements instead of sacrifice. Tithes and offerings seem to buy membership dues that give members to a, get a never-ending list of privileges. But here's the biblical definition of membership. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and 28. Paul says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, which Paul was one, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. So Paul says that there are many different things that make up the church, but that the definition is is that members of a church comprise the whole, and we are all essential parts of it. Paul would take this body metaphor further and explain it, that members are individual parts of the body. He says in verse number 12 of that same chapter, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. So he says there's a biblical definition here, and we are all individually a part of a whole. Memberships mean, membership means we are different, but we still work together. Have you ever heard the old saying, opposites attract? 
Don't you find that true in church life? How many of you have found yourself working with other people of who you have absolutely nothing else in common with except your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Your interests are different. Your thinking is different. Just about everything about you is different, but you share a commonality in that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it seems like all those differences fade away, and you come together to work for the glory of God. Um, we are a body made up of unique gifts. Our diversity, what makes us different, should be the thing that makes us stronger. Each part of the body has to do its own work. Each part has to do its work or the whole body suffers. The beautiful diversity in the midst of this unity is a thing called church membership. We're all different, but we're all and should be in unity, and it makes up this thing called the church. If one part doesn't do its job, the whole body does not function well. Now, earlier there were the choir loft was filled with people. People who can what? Sing. Make a joyful noise. All right? Now, what if this group of people here who have the gift and ability of singing, what if you all just decided, I don't want to use that gift? What would that do to the rest of the people out here? It would rob them of the opportunity every week to be edified. I'm, hey, this is that old phrase, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> it would rob these people out here of the opportunity to be edified, to be built up by you using your gift. So if you're sitting out here and you have that gift and you're not using that gift, then where should you be sitting right now? You should be sitting right here. There's a seat by Lori. There's seats over here. Seats up back here with Jane. I don't know. I wouldn't know an out. I wouldn't know a soprano from a soap dish. But I know this. I love to hear you sing. So you're using your gift. Now, if you didn't do that and these seats were empty, then these people might have to endure me singing. And that would be the worst thing that could happen. Who said amen? Oh, me. Some of you, some of you have the most important responsibility that I think that anybody here has. Your Sunday school teacher. If you are a Sunday school teacher, in my estimation, you're the most important person in this church. Because you take a small group of people each week and you personally invest in them you study all week long. I've been watching my dad for over 40 years. I can tell you that this afternoon, my dad, and I know that Martha Garner will do the same thing, they will take next week's Sunday school lesson and they will sit it on their lap at some time today and they will begin to study to teach next Sunday. Now, what if you weren't using that gift? What if Miss Gale, who does such a wonderful job teaching that kindergarten class, 
I bet you some of those children tell their moms and dads on Saturdays who might be planning to go somewhere else, I bet you they say, oh, no, we're going to see Miss Gale in the morning. I see the same thing with Miss Diane in our weekday program every week, every year. When those kids walk into Miss Diane's class on the 21st, for about the first week, they're scared to death. Because they've never had discipline, a lot of them never had discipline, and a lot of them had never been gotten on to. But by Halloween, they would all want to go home with her every weekend if they could. Now, what if they weren't using those gifts? Our children wouldn't know as much as they do about Jesus. We wouldn't be on the 27th. We're going to baptize several children here in our worship service, including Seth's child. We're going to baptize several children here on, on that morning. What if they didn't have a Sunday school teacher to go to? Well, it would be awful. I want to tell you, I, I want to say this one more again. You're more important than I am, Sunday school teacher. You're more important than I am. Because if someone in your class has a tragedy or someone in your class has something to celebrate, I expect them to let you know before I know. Because you have the closest contact to them each and every week. Now, I was going to a Sunday school class this morning. I told them I was coming. I had something happen mentally, and I missed that Sunday school class, and they came to me here in the sanctuary and told me that they'd already kicked me out. I'll be there next week. If you're not attending Sunday school, you're missing out. And we're going to begin to, there was a point in time, one, I, I, I want, I, let me park right here for just a second. The Alabama State Board of Missions called me one time and said, what are you doing there? You have as many people in worship in Sunday school as you do in worship service. And you know what I told them? I'm just doing what you told me to do when I go to conferences. And it's working. So y'all keep it up. But we're going to keep, we're, we're going to focus more on that in the coming, because I think it makes you a better church member. If you're a part of a Sunday school class, you are 85% more likely to stay a lifetime church member of that church than you are if you're not a member of a Sunday school class. Now let me get back to where I am, because we'll be here all day. And somebody will say to me, I pay too much tithes for you to preach that long. If you're paying that much tithe, I ought to be making more money. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If one part does its job well, the whole body rejoices and is stronger. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. My family's been through suffering, and we've been here for 18 years. We've been through some suffering during that time. We've had some things happen to us as a family. And my living room has been filled with church members at times praying for us as a family. My living room was filled with people one night because we were getting up the next morning to go to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and my living room was filled with people who were laying hands on us and praying for us. 
Let me tell you something. If we are serving and giving the way that God has called us to do, there will never be any division in this church. If we are serving and giving the way that God called us to do, there will never be any division in this church and there will never be any competition between our ministries. Now, the body suffers when we fail to do our part. I, I think about this. I think about what we see when we're on our mission trip. Um, Mickey Kerr got a, an email or a text message before we left on our mission trip, two weeks out before we left. And the church there at Mount Olives in Postal Latega, Nicaragua, was meeting every night in their church from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, and they were praying during that whole time. They were fasting and praying during that time for us to have safe travel and for us to get there and to be able to do ministry. Now, these people are poor. They have absolutely nothing in their life except Jesus. They meet in a church where there is no elect, there's no air conditioning, there's no heat. They don't need any heat. But there are none of the creature comforts. Some of you would not go to their restroom, I promise you. But they meet in these primitive conditions, and here's what we see. We see when we're there, we see a church rejoicing, praising, and extremely going the extra mile for Jesus. But here's what I know. I can guarantee you they have problems just like we do. Only in a language that we don't understand. Now here's what they see in us while we're there. On this trip, more than any other trip that I've ever been on, more than any other thing I've ever been a part of, they saw a group that was in unison and harmony. They saw a group that was hungry to share the gospel and establish two new churches. But here's what they didn't see. They didn't see our attitudes in the terminal at Miami International as people were yelling at me and saying, we are about to close the gate and y'all are about to not be able to get on this plane. And for the first time in all these years, I was this close to having to call Robbie again and say, Robbie, <laughs> you're going to get on here with them and tell them, because <laughs> if I get in it, I'm going to lose my job. And I can promise you, if Robbie had got involved, there'd have been 23 people with a million air miles so I might have should have let, let them leave us. But, but they didn't see our attitudes. They didn't see me have to run at my age and my weight. They didn't see me have to run eight football fields to get to a terminal to have somebody yell at me about being late. And they didn't see um, us all pouring sweat and dripping as we got there, sitting on there, and after they had made such a fuss about us running late, having to sit there for an hour and a half because it was lightning. This is 2017. Can't we take off in some lightning? They didn't see that attitude among us. But here's what. We're imperfect. And you know what? That's what Jesus wanted. That was God's plan. God could have used any plan he wanted to. He is sovereign. 
He's in complete control. He's the ruler of this universe. He doesn't have to ask anybody's permission. He doesn't have to get anybody's blueprint for success. God said, I want a universal church that will never die, and I want that universal church to be broken down into local churches that will do my ministry among the people who don't know my son Jesus. And with all of its flaws and inadequacies, the local church is dearly loved by Jesus Christ because it is filled with his people who are flawed and inadequate. It is filled with the people he loved so much that he died for them. Jesus loves the local church and its people. And guess what? I have to love the local church and its people. And I love the local church by using my gifts to serve the local church. Because through serving this local church, I am actually ministering to this whole community. When you get up on Sunday morning and you come here to sing in this choir, you're not just ministering to this group of people, but you are helping them to grow spiritually so that they can go and minister to this community. <clears throat> Membership means that everything we say and do is based on biblical foundations of love. Look at the last verse in chapter 12 here. Paul says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now he's told them, he's telling them here, we are going to transition from all these things that we've been talking about, about church membership and about being a part of that local body. We're going to trans transition to the great chapter of love. Because these people have sound doctrine, but they're lacking love for one another. The biblical definition of love is found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the agape love. It's unconditional. Listen to what Paul says here in these first few verses. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you understand? You can be right in your giving. You can be right in your study. And you can be wrong in your love. And how you love and how you show that love to other people. It's easier to be orthodox in a church than be loving. It's easier to be active in a church than be loving. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The best way for someone to know you are a Christian is if you are loving other people. So what do we as a body of believers want to be known for? We want to be known for loving. We, love, we do not love people. We do not love because people are lovable. The original meaning of chapter 13 was to demonstrate how church members relate to each other. 
We may not always like each other, but we have to love each other. Hear me. We may not always like each other, but we have to love each other. There are times when some of you can't stand me. You better love me. Mama. Pastor, a pastor friend of mine here in Piedmont told me a man, a rough man here in town got saved one time. And he went and he had said some horrible things about my pastor friend. And he went and he knocked on my pastor friend's door. And my, pa- the, my friend opened the door and there stood this man. And with tears running down both, out of both eyes, he said, Preacher, he said, the Bible says, if we don't love each other, we can't go to heaven. And my pastor friend says, well, buddy, one of us ain't going. (laughs) But they got it straightened out. Have you ever held a grudge? Have you ever held a grudge with another church member? I want to tell you this. I have let go of some grudges in my life in the last month. And my team can tell you here in this church it's made a difference in my life. Don't use the S-T-A-F-F word. We're a team. I had grudges with people. And I've had to go to those people and I have had to sit with them and I have had to swallow my pride because it was killing me as a minister. Because I cannot sit and tell you to forgive and reconcile when I, as your leader, have unforgiveness and won't reconcile in my own life. 1 John 4.20, Jesus said this, and no, John said this, I'm sorry. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you're holding a grudge against a brother or a sister who is supposed to be your brother or sister in Christ, it is hurting your relationship with God the Father. And you will never function as a Christian or a church member the way that he has called you to function until you get rid of it. Because love is the foundation of church membership. The Bible says this here in 1 John chapter 13, not 1 John, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is what? Love. Now, I'm not a member of any country club. I don't know that they would let me park cars at a country club. So I, I don't have any dues to pay to any organization. I, I, don't, I can't think of any organization that, I, that I'm a member of that I have to pay dues to. You know what my dues are to this local body? My dues are love and service. Those are our dues to the local body that Christ has called us to. Church membership is functioning 
membership. Now, I said this a few weeks ago, and as we start this study, I want to say this again. If you join a church because of the music, you're going to be disappointed. Because music styles change. Music styles come and go. My objective with Micah now, I give Micah, I have made him a commitment that I'm going to give him at the minimum a month's worth of sermons ahead of time. He has my next five-week sermons already. And our challenge is, is to teach theology through what we sing on Sunday morning. Because we learn theology two ways, through what we hear preached and from what we hear through singing. And so we've made a commitment in this worship service to teach theologically through the music. Some of you won't like that. Sing anyway. If you join the church because of a preacher, a pastor, guess what? Pastors come and go. But don't join a church because of a pastor. Don't join a church because of the minister's own staff because God will call those ministers somewhere else someday. Join a local church because the Holy Spirit of God said there's a place there for you to serve. And when you join it, get busy. Get busy serving and showing other people love. Because biblical membership is functioning membership. There's a statement in the book. There's a statement there. You can put that statement up. I think I gave it to my, yeah. This is the first pledge. It's there on the back of your worship guide. The first pledge says, and I was going to be all dramatic and sign this in front of y'all, and Bree took my pen and my water. The first pledge says this, I am a church member. I like the metaphor of membership. It's not membership as in a civic organization or a country club. It's the kind of membership given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and individual members of it. Because I am a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member. Whether I am an eye, an ear, or a hand, as a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if any one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. I commit to that this morning, and I'm going to sign that, that I commit to it. And maybe you've already signed in your book, but maybe you just want to sign there what you have in the worship guide and stick it in your Bible and go back and read it. If I knew the date, I'd put the date down. 13th. Maybe you just want to stick it in your Bible and know that you have it and go back and look at it as we move to chapter 2 next week. But here's the most important thing about church membership is this. And some churches and pastors won't tell you this. You can't be a... Your name can be on the roll of the church and you not be a Christian. But that's out of order. Because first of all, for you to be a functioning church member, you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ who left the throne in heaven to come to be born in the most pitiful poor conditions that a person could be born in, born of a virgin, led a sinless life. Because he lived a sinless life, he was the perfect substitute for you and your sins because of your imperfect sinful life. He went to a cross at a place called Calvary and he was crucified. He was taken from that cross and he was put into a tomb for three days. After three days, through the power of God, he was resurrected and over 500 people saw him physically resurrected afterwards. He did that for you, not so that you could join this church but so that you could live with him in eternity throughout heaven. Not to make you wealthy or not to make your life perfect and never have any problems, but to walk with you through every situation that you go through. And for you to avoid eternal separation from him in a place called hell. So if you're here this morning and you know that that fits you, you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want you to come this morning and I want you to meet myself or Seth or Donna. We'll be here and let us take the scriptures and show you how to know that you have eternal life. Maybe you want to pray about the gifts and abilities that you have. Maybe you've been a Christian for years. And you know that you have certain gifts and abilities that you're not using. Take the time right now to pray about those things and know that we need you as a functioning member of the body of Christ. Maybe you have family members who are sick or who are hurting. Maybe you want to pray for them. Whatever you need to do during this time, the altars are open. You can pray where you are. Maybe you want to follow in believers' baptism or church membership. Whatever your situation, please don't waste this time. Would you stand, Father? Thank you for giving us this moment. Thank you for the body of Christ in the local church. I love the local church, and I thank you for placing me here in this local church. I thank you for what other members and their gifts do every week to make me a stronger Christian. And I pray that during this time, we would use it wisely to worship, to reflect, and to decide to follow Jesus. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.